today is Melina Palmer. She is the founder and CEO of The Brainy Business. So we're going to nerd out just a little bit. And when I say we're going to nerd out, really, Melina is going to nerd out a little bit more because I guarantee you she is a lot smarter than I am, but we're still going to have fun. So Melina, welcome to Ponderings from the Perch. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Awesome. Well, she is the CEO of The Brainy Business, and they provide behavioral economics consulting to businesses really of all sizes and all around the world. But here's the great thing. She is a fellow podcaster. Her podcast, The Brainy Business, Understanding the Psychology of Why People Buy, has downloads in over 170 countries, and it's really used as a resource for teaching applied behavioral economics to a lot of universities and inside other businesses. So I am super excited to nerd out a little bit, (laughs) but also talk about this very accomplished person from her bachelor's degree in business and administration and doing all kinds of teaching along applied behavioral science, but also she has gotten a book written. So round of applause for Melina right now. (laughs) Um, Her book uh, that just came out this year is What Your Customer Wants and Can't Tell You. It was published just this May. And so we're super excited to talk a little bit about this book uh, today. And then as always on Ponderings from the Perch, we'll pull the curtain back just a little bit and also get to ask her a question about the process of the book because a lot of people on this podcast are listening in for some of those little secrets and tidbits and real life, um, real life examples. So Melina, this is going to be super fun. Yeah. I'm very, very excited to be here. And as you said, I'm always game for nerding out. Okay. Let's, let's nerd out right from the beginning. So for someone who just clued in and said, I don't know if I want to listen to one on behavioral economics, tell us what it is, but in the most sexy way. (laughs) Yeah, no. So like you said, my undergrad is in business administration with a focus in marketing. And I worked in marketing for years looking for a program like this. Uh, you know, so when I got my undergrad, there was just this tiny little piece of one class that had just a little bit about buying psychology and why people do the things they do. And I thought it was just the most amazing thing. And I knew I wanted to go get a master's in it. And I was told that that didn't exist for about 10 years where I called schools and said, but come on, you know, doesn't this exist somewhere, you know? Um, and so like imagining you calling, hi, it'll be fun. It'll be fun. Can we have, can we have this course? Right. Like, but really like, don't you have this? Yeah, no, they, well, that was, I often had people say you can build your own, like you can do it yourself. It's like, but if I know what I need to learn, I don't need to pay you a bunch of money. Right. Like, so uh, it's a bit of a conundrum here. So I basically was just working in marketing and brand strategy for years and always kind of having this on the shelf of something I was interested in. And then I was as part of this innovation program and they brought in people from what's called the center for advanced hindsight at Duke university, which is their behavioral economics arm there. And they were talking about their research and I knew that was exactly what I had been looking for. And similarly, when I said, what is this, what's it called? And they said, it's behavioral economics. And I was like, really? Like, (laughs) like, I don't think that's what I'm looking for. Maybe I'm wrong. (laughs) And unicorns. (laughs) Right. Yes. We've, we've definitely, there are many of us in the field that see, we know we have a branding issue on the name itself of the field, but uh, essentially it really is just 
knowing that within our brains, they, we'd like to think we all do things a certain way. We like to think we're uber logical and rational. We are other people aren't, you know, (laughs) Uh, but at the end of the day, because we aren't fully logical, rational people making logical and rational choices and everything that we do, it made it so it was really difficult for traditional economic models to accurately predict behavior. So you know what people should do. We know what we should do. I know I should exercise and go out and run, but I'd really rather sit on my couch and watch Netflix and eat a bag of Cheetos with a glass of wine, right? Like that's- <laughs> well, of course. I mean, that's what pairs with Cheetos. <laughs> to- yeah. I can give you a listing. <laughs> Yeah, have my high quality, you know, wine and Cheeto night. (laughs) (laughs) So, but this is what's so funny, Melina, is that nobody would self-report that that's what they do, but we know that humans do this. So that is absolutely the best description right there of behavioral economics and why it's so needed. Why do we need to understand science around what people do and why they do it? And then why they won't tell researchers that they do it. (laughs) Yeah, well, and, you know, one of the things that really helped me to realize that as far as writing the book and what I wanted it to be able to do and accomplish something I've heard people say for years and years, but it just hit me like perfectly at the right time where someone was introducing me to do a keynote presentation. They were asking me questions before, you know, how this goes, right? The like, look, tell me a little bit so I can sound like I know you in the five (laughs) minutes. And that he made the joke that so many have made of, you know, our job would be so easy if it wasn't for the customers, which is something people say all the time. And really though, understanding those customers and what drives their behavior, even if they can't tell you. So knowing that the, the way that they make those decisions illogically or irrationally, we know they're going to sit on the couch and watch Netflix. We know that someone's going to get distracted by Instagram or get sucked into a TikTok hole, whatever, and just like keep (laughs) watching more stuff. And so if you know, that's the case and you understand what is driving that behavior, that's really important to help work with those rules to make it so that your business is something that is most appealing at that right time to help either work with those or combat them by using some other rules that can, you know, help to your benefit. Right. I love that. And really in a short amount of time, you've really come out in the forefront of this field. A couple of things that people might not know about you, besides the fact that you're a member of the Global Association of Applied Behavioral Scientists, which sounds like their Christmas party is a real hoot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the things I find really interesting is that you run the behavioral economics and business column for Inc. Magazine. And I would imagine that means that you are looking and editing and reviewing a lot of very interesting pieces at the forefront of this industry. So, you know, being right there where of what other people are writing about and wanting to talk about and wanting to collaborate about, you know, how, how has that changed your outlook on what's possible? Yeah, I would say, so that, that is my column versus, uh, running, you know, having a lot of other people's content in that space with ink. Um, but being able to determine, you know, what I'm going to be writing about and what makes sense and lots of research, definitely and connecting with other people of what we're talking about for sure. And with my podcast, I would say there's a lot of that too, of finding, you know, what do people want to learn about what research is being done already? What are people 
engaging in at this point, you know, uh, what's next, you know, there's a lot of conversation about AI and machine learning and how it ties in with behavioral sciences. And so, you know, seeing who's doing things in that space and what can we be learning, uh, that applies to people in business, not just in a real theoretical type of space or, or things like that. So right. being able to just find new people to talk to and, and see who else is out there is one of my very favorite things. I know, uh, when we talked earlier, uh, we were, uh, saying how, you know, we both like to chat and, uh, follow up with people and actually use the social part of social media, like on LinkedIn mm-hmm. and having those conversations. And I know I've made a reputation for myself in the space of being someone that is open and likes having conversations. And I constantly say on the show, like, if you have an idea, if you have a question, if you'd like, please, please reach out Uh, because the field is so new, we definitely need more conversations and there are a million ways it can be going into the future. Yeah. One thing that I really like about how you show up on social and how you show up in conversations, even offline at conferences and things like that, is that you do understand behavioral science and you understand uh, neuroscience and non-conscious behaviors. And so you tend to lead with some really interesting phrases that get people's brain going a different direction instead of the same boring conversation that they've been having about behavioral economics. So yeah. um, one of those is that I've heard you lead before um, by asking um, about, you know, what people are doing in terms of their their pricing models or what they're learning right now or what what is the thing that, that um, you know, that, that would most help uh, businesses drive that next product innovation. But Um, You said um, that there was an interesting story around a one word that actually increased sales by 38%. And there's an actual concept going on there. So tell us a little bit about that, because that's already starting an intriguing conversation. Yeah, so the word itself is not where the magic lies, but like you said, it's the concept behind it. And this is a study that was done in grocery stores at two different end cap displays. And so one of them had signage that said Snickers bars buy them for your freezer. The other says Snickers bars buy 18 for your freezer, which we can all agree like 18 is a lot of Snickers and probably more than most are buying, uh, even in like Halloween or, uh, <laughs> like, you know, pandemic hoarding <laughs> setup, right. right? Like that's not getting quite that much. And so if you were the person that was in charge of that marketing messaging and I've been there, right. So I know that you're saying like, well, this is an arbitrary number. I don't want to have to justify why I came up with this. And it's such a big one. Someone's going to ask me, you know, why I wanted to do this. And, you know, them is unlimited and people could get a hundred Snickers bars if they want, you know, you (laughs) let your logical brain go on this whole thing that helps to justify why you feel uncomfortable about putting that out in the world. And then you probably think, it wouldn't make that much of a difference anyway, so don't bother. But the difference was a 38% increase in sales when the number 18 was used instead of the word them. And there are a few concepts that are at play here, but the main one being anchoring. And so when we say them, in the same way when you were like logicking and saying like, oh, it could be 100 really for the buyer coming in, if they're not planning on getting any, it's a fancy word for zero, right? I'm not going to get any. Uh, And let's say maybe they get two, like they were somewhat swayed by what you said. Uh, In the case of 18, you know, our 
subconscious, non-conscious, however you want to talk about it, is going to go, oh, like, that's weird. Like, that's a really big number, you know, and you probably well, you're say, also thinking whoever did buy 18, I'd like to go visit them tonight. Right. right. <laughs> like, I'm not going to buy 18, but if my friend did, that sounds great. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's what you'd say. Like, I'm so much better than everybody else. I don't need 18. <laughs> I don't need 18. <laughs> I'll just get six. Mm-hmm. So we were anchored by the high number and then adjust down. This is the same concept why people end up buying more when things are labeled as 10 for $10 instead of $1 each. It is the anchor that has an impact and even putting limits on things to say, you know, it's this sale on cans of soup limit 12 people will buy more than if there's no limit. And that's stated it's weird what what our brains do. Uh, But the other thing that's happening behind the anchoring piece is there's a slightly different question that's being asked behind the statement in those two ads. So in the case of buy them for your freezer, really you're asking, would you like to buy some Snickers? Do you want any? In the case of 18, it has more of that implied sale. It's how many do you want to buy? And so it's a slightly different question, but it makes all the difference when we're in that buying state. Mm, I love that. That is really key, that buying state, because, um, you know, really the customer, a lot of times in research, and correct me if I'm wrong, is being asked what they do in the buying state when they're not in the buying state. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. where even if you have, um, you know, I know that there are some you know, retailers or grocery stores that have huge testing facilities where they have like a mock store that they have people go in and use. But if you say, Hey, I want you to go in and you're going to get these three things and here's your list and go find them and just wander around and we'll watch you. And you're the only one in the store and you're just like on your own, like you have nothing else to do. We're not going to give you your phone. Just like, go, we'll see what you do. Versus like, if I'm shopping on a Saturday morning and I've got kids in tow and the phones, and I'm like trying to remember everything on the list, there's a cognitive load issue that changes where you're more likely to have impulse buys if you're thinking about other things. And so if you're not recreating that, and if you don't give people their phones, when you're having them go in and test it's going to be incredibly different because we can be distracted. I know there's uh, once iPhones being around made it to where people are less likely to be buying at the register where there's all the extra stuff there. There's a boredom factor that makes you want to buy more. Interestingly too, people were chewing gum less once uh, you had iPhones and things coming out that there's stuff to do on your phone because we used to like distract ourselves by chewing gum. So Knowing though, if you're in the gum industry, that's something that's important to know that that could be driving behavior one way or the other. So little things that are really, really important when you are trying to recreate a buying (laughs) scenario for sure. Well, recreating the buying scenario, a lot of times for businesses has a lot to do with trying to come up with the optimal price. And that is something that you are an expert about. That's something you help brands with all the time. So tell me a little bit about what you know about pricing, just some basic things. And also maybe when people um, know they have a problem, like when should they go, okay, we need Molina. (laughs) Like obviously we have a pricing problem. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, so really the main thing about pricing is that pricing is pretty much never about the price. 
So when you're looking to buy something, if someone is excited enough about a thing, there, there's a lot of things that happen before the price that determines whether you're going to buy or not. And there are plenty of examples of people, you know, going out of their way to get shoes or, you know, saving money when their kids to get concert tickets, you know, back in the day that even when they're expensive, you make it happen, you'll make it happen for the right thing, you know? And so if you're not messaging in a way that's making it that you're worth that value that somebody wants to buy early enough on, then yes, the price will seem like it's the problem, but it's often not. It's the way you're talking about it, leading in and how you're comparing things against each other. Um, I like to give an example about that. I So I say it's not about the cookie is the messaging I use for pricing. So if you imagine like you and I were walking down the street, catching up, having a lovely conversation, and then all of a sudden can start to smell something amazing in the air. It's like sweet, a little bit salty. You can tell there's like some brown sugar and chocolate, and we know it's chocolate chip cookies. So we're still talking to each other, but we're kind of looking around, right? (laughs) Trying to find the source of this. And we're like cartoon characters with our noses, like leading us down the road. Right. Uh, so we're trying to find that the source of the scent. And then we get there, we see there's a line out front and we're excited to be able to go in. And then they give you a free sample and they say, you know, today only we have buy three, get one free. And before we know it, we're walking out eating cookies and each having a bag in hand for later. Mm -hmm. So now let's take a step back we're having the same walking down the street conversation. Things are great. Someone like rushes up and shoves a coupon in our faces and says, Oh, today only I have these samples from these cookies. There's this business down here that, you know, if you buy four, you only have to pay for three of them. And it's really great. You, you want some like, guy, get out of here. Like (laughs) how rude are you? You know, we're having a good conversation. Maybe now our conversation has shifted to be about bad selling experiences and things we've dealt with. (laughs) By the time we smell the cookies, we're more think like going to look up who they are so we can write a Yelp review about how terrible they are. And we're shunning all the people in line, right? (laughs) For their bad tactics. (laughs) So it didn't really matter. The first cookies could have been $3 each. These second cookies were 50 cents each. We had decided whether we were buying or not before we got there. Of course, there are some caveats if it's like a hundred dollars for a cookie, you know, <laughs> the probably <sentence>. not today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but when we're going into that scenario, all the same things happened, but they happened in a different order. You know, you need to be priming the brain with that scent of the cookies first so that it's the subconscious is looking. It wants to find those cookies. It's excited and it's filtering your attention. So everything is going into the camp of getting you cookies. <laughs> And I'm making this happen uh, versus when someone's shoving that coupon in your face at the beginning, you're shut down to where any of those other tactics are going to be repelling you. And again, price isn't really what matters in that. It's all those things that happened before. So we need to call Peloton and tell them they need to put a, uh, a scale outside their door, right? <laughs> Step on the scale and then come in and we'll have primed you for buying this Peloton. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, yeah. That's a, there's a whole really amazing product. It's called the Shapa that was created by uh, Dan Ariely from Duke university and some partners. And it's a scale that doesn't tell you your weight. 
So it's all color based. And it's because knowing your weight is actually incredibly demotivating for people. The act of stepping on the scale is good and can help you have good behaviors throughout the day. But, you know, again, we've all had that night where we had a, I guess, a bit too many wine and Cheetos and mm-hmm. then we <laughs> and cookies. I mean, we're right. on the cookies now. All the know. things I know. Uh, I know everybody, when they listen to my talks or whatever, it's like, I feel hungry now, I'm right? Hungry. Like that's, <laughs> I have lots of good visuals to, mm-hmm. you know, with that, but, but that's um, a nacho libre line. I smell cookies. <laughs> <laughs> you need to use that one. <laughs> nice. Uh, so, you know, you wake up then Sunday morning, let's say after an indulgent Saturday night and you go, uh, like, I don't need to know this right now. I don't want to step on this. I'm going to go for a run and have a couple of good days. And maybe in like three days, I'll step on the scale, you know, because I don't want to do this now. And then you kind of get onto a slippery slope where if you're not stepping on the scale, you're already bad, you know, behavior, you're going to keep going. Uh, so anyway, yeah, another behavioral setup to where it doesn't show you the numbers, but it's letting you know all this stuff is being handled by someone else with an algorithm behind the scenes. And you get to just see a color to know whether you've like maintained within your own fluctuations, you've lost a little or gained a little, uh, and then you can adjust from there. Make an adjustment. That's so interesting. So you, you do talk a lot about pricing and you just brought us through a great example of priming. So to give us one more example about priming that people could see in their every everyday life. Hmm. So many great ones. I would say that, and it's not necessarily an everyday life scenario, but it's something that, well, I mean, it, it is sort of. So uh, when you think about um, imagery and how that is impacting you, it may feel like it shouldn't you know, I saw something two minutes ago, it shouldn't impact a decision I make now because it was totally unrelated. You know, we like to think that that's the case. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, there was a study that was done where they had people working together in a, um, like trying to be on like a cooperative project, uh, half of the people, there was a backpack in the room, the other half, a briefcase in the room. And those in the backpack room were more cooperative, worked better together than those in the briefcase room. And of course, everyone said they didn't even notice the bag. So it influenced their behavior. And this is for all those people that say like, I don't even notice Facebook ads. I don't even pay attention to commercials. You're wrong. (laughs) Just because it didn't hit your conscious brain doesn't mean it's not doing something there in the background. So it's important to know that it is impacting that behavior. Uh, and similarly people who, you know, for like a microsecond, when watching a video, there was a flash of either an IBM logo or an Apple logo. Those who were shown the Apple logo were more innovative on projects they were working on later on, and they didn't even notice that they saw it. Uh, so all these little bits. And one of the pieces of advice I give too is, you know, if I'm all about sarcasm, I'm my favorite kind of humor. Right. Uh, But I don't have, you know, hang in there cat posters and TGIF stuff on my notebooks or funny sayings like that, because it's constantly priming you uh, to have a worse experience. One of an article I wrote for Inc is actually, you know, if you're have, if you're not liking your job, you know, take a look around your office because potentially, you know, it's self-fulfilling that your brain is constantly looking for those negative reinforcement pieces and showing you things about, you know, why it's dreary and you wish it was Friday mm-hmm. all the time I- to support that. 
Okay, so you just gave me the way to support those people who work at home in their pajamas. I'm like, I'm so not for it. <laughs> and I know everybody's going to hate me for it. But the thing is, I think you still, you get up, you get dressed, you get, I mean, I get it. Now you, you saved yourself the commute. But I think there are a lot of things that we do that prime our, ourselves for certain behavior. And when we miss those cues, we miss them the behavior. And I think you know that very well in marketing messages. You know that in, you know, in pricing schemes. And you understand how companies can structure things for the best outcome. So I I do think those things that apply to us personally, they apply to to companies. So because you have such a background in marketing and advertising and you understand then how the science relates, what would you say in your experience are some of the biggest mistakes that you're seeing in messaging out there? Well, I would say that the biggest mistake that businesses make in general is not really understanding the problem they're trying to solve, not thinking enough about the actual behavior change, what we're really looking at and working on. And, you know, Shapa being a good example there that if you're focused on, if you work in the scale industry, you're going to think about being even more specific, like people just need to know, like to the dot zero, 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 you know, whatever of their weight, they need more specificity or something. Um, but that's not really the problem. And you have to think about it in a different way. You know, Einstein is said to have been asked if he had an hour to save the world, how would he spend the hour? And he says he would have given 55 minutes to understanding the problem and five minutes to solving it. And if Einstein was going to give 55 minutes of his hour very smart man. Like we all should be giving more of our respective hours to understanding those problems uh, and making sure that you're working to do the right thing. Like I say to my clients all the time, it's really easy to find the right answer to the wrong question. So mm-hmm. you want to make sure that you're working on the right thing, you know, mm-hmm. is, is first. Now, are you a Douglas Adams fan from the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? <laughs> uh, so I've uh, I've seen the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy many, many, many moons ago, but I haven't read the book. Or <laughs> well, they very carefully thought about uh, you know the question they wanted to know the the answer to life, the universe, and everything. And by the way, the answer is forty two. Unfortunately, right. by the time they figured out that answer, nobody remembered exactly how they had framed the question. So right. <laughs> I think that's a very good example of what you're saying is that, you know, the answer is just, it's just one tiny piece of it. Really, it is about understanding what really is the problem and how can we frame this problem and how can we understand what it is we're trying to change in behavior. Right. So about behavior, let's, let's talk for a minute about the book. So um, for those of you who need to understand your consumer better, and at this point, you've, it's dawning on you that you need to understand yourself better, <laughs> then you need this actual book. And I guarantee you that there is a, a real learning that happens. If you're learning it because you're trying to look at it from the point of your consumer, I think it also, there's just as a, as a human, there's a lot of good learning about how we behave as uh, consumers as well. But this book, What Your Consumer Wants and Can't Tell You, is obviously available out on Amazon. So you can go check that out. You can also find Melina at thebrainybusiness.com. So go there. But let's hear a little bit about the book and one particular concept I'm interested in that you talk about in the book, that is behavioral baking. Hmm. So tell the audience about that concept um, and, and what we need to know. Yeah. So the book itself 
is similar to with my podcast. It's I'm always leading with, I want people to be able to know how to actually apply these things. And the field of behavioral economics is really academic still. There's more coming out and applied, but helping people to know what to go do so they can get started in this way. So uh, that's why I started the podcast and then going forward with the book to be able to apply it. So the book is separated into four parts. Part one is about your brain, some stuff you need to know foundationally there, how brains work, because it's different than what we would like to think. Part two is dedicated to 16 concepts that I think are most important for businesses. If you were going to just start going to apply behavioral economics yourself, there are hundreds that I could have used. I picked 16 just to help you, you know, not feel overwhelmed in that way. And then part three is looking at starting to combine them together. And part four is called don't get stuck and all these brain biases that can make it. So you hear these amazing things and think, oh yeah, I'm going to go do that on Monday and you know, then you, Monday comes and you get sucked into all these other things. So behavioral baking is my framework of a way of thinking about applying behavioral economics within business. So if you were to say, uh, you know, you've decided now you're going to go run a bakery, but you've never actually baked anything in your whole life, what would you need to know first? You would want to know what the ingredients are and a little bit about what they do, you know, uh, sugar, flour, butter, and eggs can be combined to make all sorts of different things. You can make, you know, brownies and cakes and cookies and breads and all sorts of things. So you want to know though, you know, what they do. So you don't end up with three cups of sugar and a tablespoon of flour and something. (laughs) So you know what, what you're having. And then you also, then you need to know what you're going to make you can't just throw all those things in a bowl and expect and like hope it's going to turn out delicious because it's probably not. And then when you're going to start baking at the very beginning, you would use a recipe and maybe even go super simple, like a boxed cake mix. And that way you can get some comfort. And as you get better, you're going to be learning, okay, this was dense. So maybe I need to whip it a little bit differently. And maybe you start adding in your own spices and seasonings before you go from scratch, uh, and then you are getting to be better through baking. You would never say, if you made that first cake and it was like soupy in the middle, you wouldn't say, you know, I tried baking once. It's not real. It didn't work. (laughs) (laughs) It makes no sense. But people say things like that about entire fields, like behavioral economics or behavioral science. Like, oh yeah, I tried a nudge this one time and it didn't work. So it's not a thing is a silly thing to say. So in the case of applying behavioral baking, understanding the concepts are like your ingredients. Then I have in part three are some of those recipes, like your boxed cake mixes to help you start to apply some of them yourself, but you know, enough of these other concepts that you could be you know, sprinkling them in as you go. Uh, but as I say there too, even as you get your skills in baking and you're going to make every birthday cake and it feels great. You definitely call an expert when a wedding comes up, right? So when you have something with a lot on the line, you know, you call, call the experts myself or anyone else to be a consultant for you to help. I love that. I love that. And one of the biggest things that you consult on is pricing, but is there one particular question that you get from people that you look forward to? You're like, 
okay, this is the one I love answering. Or is there anything like that that kind of just really gets you excited? Oh, I love all of it is the the good and the bad, right? I get so excited to learn what else is out there. But I think there was a question you had asked that I didn't fully answer before, which was about a big mistake that I see most brands and things make, which is, so it is the context, not knowing what you're driving someone to do, but along those lines is putting way too much in whatever you have out there. Episode two of the podcast is the top five wording mistakes businesses make. So that's there for the, you know, marketers of the world, but being too vague, having too much is a huge problem and not thinking about the small steps. We like to go from like a to double Z of what we're trying to get people to do to say, uh, you know, I send the postcard and then people either buy or they don't on our direct mail and that's it. But humans make 35,000 decisions every single day on average. And so there are all those little micro moments that are nudgeable. That's either keeping someone on track, like bumpers when they're going bowling, or it's making them bail on whatever you're asking them to do. And if you're not thinking about, I need them to notice the postcard and they have to then be willing to read a little bit and turn it over and then find the URL and go to my website and then find the pricing page and read about this and then click that they want to order it. And then they have to agree that they want to buy. And then, and then, Mm -hmm. and then, (laughs) (laughs) and so if you're not thinking about the behaviors of all of those little micro moments, that's, you're going to be losing people along the way. Oh, I love that. In marketing, I talk to that and refer to it many times as friction. I'm sorry. We have way too much friction going on here. Yeah. I think whether it's B2B or B2C, we know we're selling to humans, Mm -hmm. right? Or we're serving humans. Let's talk about it from a perspective from an organization. You've helped other organizations, whether it's not about money, but really about getting that messaging and getting that behavior right and priming for that right behavior. So it's this understanding that, that, you know, humans there our brains want things to be easy. Right? So please quit making it so freaking difficult to hand you money. Right. Yeah, <laughs> right? definitely. That's, that's the short version of that. But um, so definitely check out the second episode if you're in marketing and we'll go ahead and put that in the show notes as well um, that Melina referred to the top five wording mistakes that businesses are making. But I love this idea of like bumpers. You just, you just use that metaphor. And I think this is really strong because, you know, reading through um, uh, the book, what your customer wants and can't tell you um, is like bumpers and saying, okay, there's a million things that can go wrong in business. But if we could put up a couple of these bumpers and guide you a little bit so that, you know, we are keeping customers on track, you know, in the general scope, this will help you. And then yes, like what you're saying, now let's bake some stuff. Now let's try and see a little deeper how we could go. But there are some basics that the companies really need to evaluate um, how they're going to market, um, whether that's packaging or it's an actual, you know, website or um, how they're showing up at a conference. All of these things involve so many decisions. And you just overwhelmed me, Melina, with the <laughs> idea that I'm making 35,000 decisions. And I'm telling you for anyone also who, uh, you know, has built a house. And right now I'm, I'm redoing and um, gutting a new office for us. Mm. Everybody asks you for so many decisions. I guarantee you I'm over 35,000 decisions a day right now. <laughs> yeah. And that's where you're hitting those fatigue points for sure. Right. That's, yes. You, yeah. you mentioned cognitive overload. Chica, I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, for sure. People that were asked to remember seven digits instead of two were more likely to choose chocolate cake than fruit salad in a little study too. So five extra digits 
more likely to pick cake because we're like, you know, remember the number 12. Okay, cool. I can do a bunch of things in this case, you know, remember this big, long number and then go through some tasks. You're like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. That looks delicious. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So subconscious gets excited about things like cake. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this has explained so much about me, Melina. (laughs) I appreciate it. Thank you for the the podcast episode that was for me. Yes, you're welcome. (laughs) Well, you need to go check out this podcast. It is the Brady Business Podcast, and um, you can find Melina out uh, very easy on LinkedIn, and it's Melina, M-E-L-I-N-A Palmer, P-A-L-M-E-R. So definitely connect with her there. Obviously, she has a lot of great stories in her podcast, but also in the uh, Inc. Magazine uh, column uh, for behavioral economics and business. Go check that out if you're more of a reader and not necessarily listener. So there's something kind of for everybody, very low friction here to get to Melina. (laughs) So in the show notes, you'll find all of her social, be sure to reach out to her. She's super approachable. I've known her for a while and, you know, out on social, she and I talk all the time. So let me tell you, if you have a question, she will get back with you. And we're the main thing. She's just this naturally curious human. So ask her an interesting question. You'll get an interesting answer. I'm sure of it. (laughs) Yes, yes, definitely. And we also had uh, the first chapter of the book set up uh, for anybody that wants to get that for free from your listeners, they can go to thebrainybusiness.com slash bird and get the first chapter of what your customer wants and can't tell you just to you know see if it's a fit for you. I love it. I love it. And you have so many other um, great uh, information just available to people for free on your website. So definitely go check it out, thebrainybusiness.com. But yeah, if you want that extra chapter, that uh, that that look under the hood, see, let, here's a little nudge for you. <laughs> see if this is the book for you. Check it out at thebrainybusiness.com forward slash bird. And um, also, um, there is a free PDF companion workbook that goes along with the book and will also play that in the show notes, but this really would help people who are kind of get to the end and Melina says, Hey, don't get stuck. (laughs) (laughs) Let's make sure we actually implement these things. So just super helpful like that. And of course you can find her anywhere you, um, you like to buy your books. If that's local, that's great. Otherwise, um, obviously Amazon's super easy there, but Melina, thank you so much for taking your time and sharing some of these really, really interesting stories. I love hearing them. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to be here. Thanks. So from all of the peeps here at Little Bird Marketing, have a great day and happy marketing. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.